Welcome. Have you heard of ODAT? <clears throat> Let me clear my throat really fast. ODAT, AKA one day at a time. It's a staple phrase in the recovery community. And I know that phrase has helped me many times to slow down, to be in the moment, uh, sometimes to not lose my freaking mind. I'm sure you can feel me there. ODAT is also a podcast, the ODAT Chat Podcast, and we're going to talk with the creator and host here in just a minute. Uh, really excited to do that. We've got some great things coming at you. But first, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you're struggling through the pains of addiction or mental health disorder, now's the time to seek some help. Uh, maybe it's affected your job, your social life, a relationship, there's a lot going on right now. I know there's a lot of people struggling out there, including myself at times. It's like this roller coaster of emotions and it's constant. And the more that I've realized, uh, it's not so much for me at least about uh, being super, super difficult to not pick up and drink. It's actually super, super difficult to apply the principles of recovery to my damn reality these days. That seems to be the issue. So Here's what I'm getting at. We have some resources. We have some options for you. You're not alone, number one, biggest thing. Uh, and Promises Behavioral Health, we partnered with the team there for a couple of years now in, in working together. Uh, I know them well. They have family. They have friends in recovery, and they're great people. Let me give you some, uh, some options on how you can reach out to them for yourself or for your family member. You can go to promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash soberguy. Uh, they created a great web page over there. It's got some pictures of our family just to represent that families can recover, that can be in recovery and live fruitful, uh, better lives. Uh, so one more time, that's promisesbehaviorhealth.com slash sober guy. Or you can just pick up the old telephone, the old cell phone, call 888-205-1890. Tell them that you heard about them from that sober guy podcast. Ask some questions, get some information. One more time, that's 888-205-1890. Uh, and you can do that uh, there. Yeah, check them out. They're good people. Shout out to them, to Promises, of course. Um, all right, a couple more things, then we're going to jump into today's episode. Uh, you can go to thatsoberguy.com. We've got hats, hoodies, T-shirts, how to navigate the first 90 days of sobriety digital course. Uh, and of course, if you need some help, you can click on the Get Help tab there. Uh, you can find all kinds of resources. One of them in particular, I think I said that correctly, uh, the Fourth Dimensions Online AA Zoom Meeting. It's 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. It's every single night. I believe Saturdays they have a speaker meeting. So if you're looking for a meeting, if you need to get plugged in somewhere, it's really a great place to start. Uh, and you can go on the Get Help tab at thatsoberguy.com. It'll give you all the login info there. Uh, one last thing, I want to thank Americana Fest Thriving Roots Music Festival for the great panel discussion we recently did about musicians in recovery. So a shout out to them, shout out to Promises for helping to sponsor that panel. It was good times and uh, always fun. So thank you again. All right, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, sit back, grab something to drink, something to eat. We're going to have a little bit of uh, some fun today and talk some recovery. Let's get this, this show on the road. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. It's good to be here. You can check us out at thatsoberguy.com. You can connect with us on Instagram, at RealThatSoberGuy, on Twitter, at Shane Raymer. This is the human's... Humans music, if you're interested. I've actually had a couple of emails lately. What's that intro music you're listening to? That's Humans, my boy Robbie. They're from Canada, and uh, they got some good jams. So you can check them out, humansmusic.com, Spotify, iTunes, all that good stuff. Our guest today is Arlena Allen, and Arlena is the creator and host of the ODAT Chat podcast. I'm sure many of you have listened to it before. Uh, she's also been clean and sober since April 23rd, 1994, straight OG of the recovery community. So I'm super pumped to have her on today. Arlena, it's very nice to see you. Welcome to the podcast. Oh my God, thank you for having me. I yeah. love your intro music. That's amazing. Yeah, humans have some good jams. Uh, they, they have all kinds of good, uh, good like stuff, it. a couple of them, yeah. What's going on with you? How are you? It's great to finally have you on the podcast. We've been I chatting know. a bit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
I'm so excited to be here. So it was so funny when I was listening to your intro. I don't know if you remember this, and we briefly connected about this, but when I first started my podcast, I reached out to you because I was listening to all these other podcasts. I reached out to you and you gave me some encouragement and I was so grateful and it really just kind of inspired me to just jump in. And so when I started doing my intro, I had something a little similar to yours where it was like (laughs) like a guy being like, oh, emotional, you know, like that whole thing. Yeah. For the longest time, I was like, I'm just going to copy Shane to be amazing. The form of what, what's the saying? That's flattery or something like that. So I don't. Yeah, that is flattery awesome. is this, is this yeah. uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. There it is. So, yes, I love it. Well, I'm glad I could help. And I actually went back and uh, uh, I was um, looking through some of those old emails. I think they were from 2017, if I remember right. And of you just reached out. You actually reached out through the form, I think, on on Sober Guy. And then we we briefly chatted. You were getting ready to launch. And uh, and yeah. And so and I guess we should give a shout out to Dennis, right? Uh, who kind of once again now rekindled oh this connection here. Um, Dennis, uh, what's Dennis's last name again? Is it Barry? Barry. Barry. Yeah, Dennis Barry. Yeah. So shout out to Dennis. He kind of helped uh, uh, connect us again. The Funky Brain Podcast. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you need to talk to Shane. And at first, I was a little like, like, bitch, I already know Shane. <laughs> <laughs> what you mean, fool? Yeah. I'm all That's we talk. Funny. We talk yeah. to you. You know who I am. <laughs> but then um, the timing was so crazy yeah. Yeah. because I live in Idaho. Is it okay to say? Like oh, you yeah. were like thinking yeah. about coming out to Idaho, and you yep. were like. And so we hadn't spoken in like four years. I'm like 121 episodes in at this point, but it was so crazy because Dennis was like, Hey, talk to Shane. And then when we connected, I was actually touring a friend. Uh, We were looking at houses for her and um, you were like, yeah, I'm coming out there to look at houses. And I like, I nearly fell out of my chair. I was like, this is, can only be explained as a God thing. Uh, totally. You know what I, mean? I was going to say, yeah, it, do, it doesn't happen by accident. And God's timing always seems to be perfect when we perfect. allow it to just kind of roll out like that. So yeah, that was, I went back actually later that day and I, I said, Hey, I told Jess, I was like, cause you know how, when you're, when you're kind of trying to step out into stuff, sometimes if you're kind of aware of it, you get these signs, or at least you think they're signs. I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to follow Why that not? way. Like, yeah, like, well, you know, this or that or whatever. And then when I spoke with you, after that day, I'm like, you're in Idaho. Wait, we're coming out there next. So I mean, yeah, it was one of those things that was uh, was kind of kind of odd and kind of cool. Yeah. So how do you like Idaho, by the way? Dude, can I swear? Yeah, feel free. I fucking love it out here. <laughs> <laughs> from and you're originally from San Jose, right? I am from San Jose. Yeah. yeah, and you know, everyone that had there's like this. I feel like I'm in the San Jose refugee camp out here and <laughs> yeah, it's like the California refugee camp. Like everybody's leaving and everyone kept telling me, Oh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I was like, Oh, I hope so. I am happier than I had dared hope to be really like, that's how good it is. And I, it was almost as if like the fantasy bubble of California lifestyle kind of was burst. Cause I, there was, I didn't realize it, but I kind of had always had like this internal pride of like, Oh, I'm a California native yeah. born and raised in Sunnyvale. Like it doesn't get any more California than that. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but then I, so there was like a little bit of fear. Like I didn't know what life was going to be like out here, but I mean, it's amazing. I feel I feel safe. I feel I have some space. We were in, I sold my little 960 square foot house that I've been living in with my two boys, my husband for 16 years, sold it for over a million dollars. It's insane. Yeah. And bought this giant ass house out here, a custom built home out here in Idaho. And dude, we are living the dream. Yeah. That's, Living the dream. So come on out. Though. Come on in. The water's fine. Well, it's, I know. And it's so, it is tough though, too. You mentioned like, you know, you, you're born and raised like same with Jess and I, we're born and raised here. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I moved around a little bit when I was younger before we were married, but it wasn't anything crazy. And um, this is all we know, you know, and, and there's just, there's so many things that have changed out here. It's not the place that we it's grew not. up in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really tough, obviously, to predict the future. But at the same time, um, you know, it's kind of easy to see 
at least right now, where where some things are headed, and it just doesn't seem like a like a like a, a great place right now for us at least. And this is strictly, you know, this is coming from me, my opinion. Everyone's entitled to their own, but for our family, it doesn't seem like it is going to you know be a great play. Our kids are young still, six and ten, you know. So Dude, it's time to go. Yeah, so we're uh, we're we're yeah. we're thinking about it definitely. So, well, you know how it is. It's like once you make a big change, you want everybody else to make it too. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> well, no, and I've kind of like seen like two, like I was, um, thinking about this, the, have you ever heard like the analogy of the boiling pot of water in the frog or whatever? Oh yeah. The frog doesn't notice. Yeah. The, he doesn't notice. Yeah. Like when you throw, if you throw a frog, which is terrible. I hate that analogy. So it's terrible. I'm an it's animal lover. Gross. Yeah. It's kind of nasty, but like if you throw him in a oh, boiling yeah. pot of water, he's going to like flip out. No, and, it's. You you put him in the pot before it's boiling. Yeah, he heats. It's he's not going to know he's dying. And oh, so I, I feel, yeah, like I feel like that's kind of how it's been in in California for us. Is like yeah. we've been here for so long, we've just grown accustomed to this like overwhelming like high priced taxes and just crazy ass stuff going on. I'm not even going to go into all that right now, but you know what I'm saying. It's just it's it's just insane. I do. So it might be time for a change. Who knows? We'll see what happens. I tell you what, I, you know, life is good out here. I feel a peace and a sense of ease that I don't think I had ever felt yeah. at home, you know, back home. Um, I love, so the one thing about, you know, we're in recovery, right? And when you move, I, I'm sure you've experienced this in your own recovery community. Like when you move, everyone says how difficult it is to, yeah. you know, find a new tribe or to feel like they're doing, like everyone says, wherever you get sober, that's how they're doing it right. And yeah. then when, whenever you leave, it's like, oh, they don't do it right. And I got to tell you, I walked into my first 12-step uh, meeting and I sat there and they started reading out of the book and a sense of peace and calm came over my heart. And I was like, I'm going to be just fine. Yeah. Because Felt the principles are still, yeah, the yeah. principles are still the same. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And yeah. you find, I think that's one thing I love about the recovery community in general is you can go anywhere and you can mm -hmm. find your people. You know what I mean? You can find some good people who, um, speak your language, I guess, been through some of the things that, that you've been through and, uh, and relate to that. So how, so how is the, let me ask that then, how, how is the recovery community? Um, when you, when you moved, did you find it was pretty easy to get dialed in? They don't do it right here. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> they don't do it the way I think it should be done. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But so there was a couple of things that a couple of anticipated challenges, right? Yeah. So the first anticipated challenge was that they weren't, the format was going to be different and I would have to get used to it. I knew that. I knew that going in, knowing it and feeling it are two different things. Yeah. And the other anticipated challenge was I heard from other people, like when they moved to, like when I was in San Jose and new people would come in, people with time, you know, people with time, everyone thinks, oh, you're okay. Like they treat them very differently than somebody that's a, a newcomer oh, to yeah. recovery in general, yeah. right? Like everyone just assumes you're fine. Oh, I don't have to reach out to that person, whatever. Um, and so I knew it was going to be on me to do all of the outreach in the beginning. And I'm, I'm my, I'm in sales by profession, high tech, uh, corporate sales. Um, I'm an account executive for a high tech company. So I'm accustomed to doing outreach, but yeah. it was still hard. You know, it's still, there's a part, there's a, that little <laughs> poor me voice that, <laughs> pops off every once yeah. in a while that says, how come I'm the only one that has to reach out? How come these motherfuckers aren't calling me? Yeah, what's it's like, yeah. what's, what's wrong? What's wrong with you people? Don't you know who I am? <laughs> you, you just reminded me of poor me, poor me, poor me. Another poor me one. Drink. Yeah. <laughs> or something. yeah. I always remember that one. Listen, I, you know, the B double mints on page 60, I think it's on page 65. Mm. I'm going to act like I know what I'm talking about, yeah. but we'll um, it's all about self, you know, remove. I do have to stay vigilant about, self-centeredness, self-seeking, self-pity, like divorce my thinking from those things. Cause that's my default. I default yeah. even after all this time, that's just my default and that's fine. That, but I that's, just have to be very mindful of it. No. And I think that's a really good point. And that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. And I've actually been on that for a couple of weeks, probably a week or two now is just that you know, so I just had seven years on the 11th. I and saw that. Yeah, Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And um, the drinking aspect of it, 
I still stay vigilant with it. Okay. Of course yeah. I know that it's there and that it could creep up anytime and bite me in the ass, but like, it's not so hard for me not to drink anymore. It's just really hard to do just what you were talking about. Like watch out for the self seeking motives and the selfishness and like just really dealing with life. Like in general, that is, that is like, especially right now going through all the crap that we're seeing happening right before our eyes. Emotional sobriety. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it is. And it's, so it's a constant effort, I guess is what I'm getting at. And how, how have you been kind of dealing with, with some of that stuff? I mean, um, has it affected you? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I wrestle with it for sure. But so I am, completely committed to this idea of what you think about you bring about mm. and to focus on what you do want, not what you don't want. Right. It's like, yeah. be the change you want to see that kind of a thing. Yeah. So I am aware, but I don't, I, <laughs> I would love to say that I don't get hooked. I would love to say, don't engage. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in this political climate, the challenge and the thing to remember and the thing that I hold on to is that we are more alike than we are different. Mm. We are more alike. And it's so easy to get, I will not, I refuse, I am so rebellious. I refuse <laughs> to get sucked into fear. Mm. I'm like, Fuck the fear. Let's focus on what really matters. Yeah. What really matters is that you and I care about each other. What matters is that, um, that we are doing our own work, that we are practicing the principles in all our affairs and, and to come together, you know, and yeah. I respect everybody's opinions and I don't always agree, but respect, I think the the Latin root of respect means to think again. And so even if I don't agree with somebody, I am willing because it takes, it takes grit to be like, okay, let me try to see it from their point of view. Yeah. Let me just try for a second to see it from their point of view and then fucking let that shit go. If yeah. it doesn't resonate, that's fine. But we are more alike than we are different. And, um, at the end of the day, I'm not going to give in to the fear because it just takes me to a place that I don't like to, I don't like to feel I'm mm -hmm. such a, a junkie of feeling good. So think about, focus on what you do want to feel, focus on what you do want to cultivate. And, uh, I'm not saying to bury your head in the sand, but, uh, especially with like emotional sobriety. I think it's so important because, you know, even after all this time of being sober, I do have those negative feelings and it's so easy to fall into the old mental trap of guilt and shame and like all those negative things. And so I think it's important to acknowledge reality, process your feelings to resolution and then focus on what you want to create, not what, not defend against what you don't yeah. want. Right. It seems like such a waste of energy. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. The fear, the uncertainty and the fear is big right now for, uh, you know, so many people, both inside recovery and outside, I think just in general, dude, it's a human experience. Yeah. And if you're right, if you give into it, I mean, it li literally can take over your life and none of us are perfect at it by any, I mean, I know I'm not, it's, uh, dude. it has yeah. its days, you know, but like at the end of the day, if I'm kind of staying in the moment and I think kind of what you were getting at was just staying in gratitude too. like, man, I got a pretty damn good life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of things to be grateful for. So I think that's, that's the, uh, that's the right attitude. You've created an amazing, you've cultivated an amazing life for yourself and your family. Look how far you've come seven years. Seven is a magical number. This is going to be an amazing year. You're like on the cusp of all this. Um, you're on the cusp of magic that you can't even grasp right now. <laughs> it's going to be a great year for you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. What, um, let's, let's go back to April 23rd, 1994 and shift <laughs> gears a little bit here. What, um, that's the old, I could barely remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got, you have some time, you know, you have some time. What was, so, so get, actually let's do this. Give us a little look into what Arlena's life was like, uh, prior to April 23rd, 1994, and then take us into, to that day specifically. 
Do you want to know my funny little way of cap- encapsulating my whole yes. using experience? <laughs> if it was in a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Easy yes. as that. It's like a buffet. That's, that's the whole yeah. thing. It's like a buffet. Yeah. I mean, that's a funny way. You know, I always, yeah. I turn my shame into humor. It's good. <laughs> I, I, yeah. That's, it's a good way to do it. That's how I cope. No, but um, I come from a really nice family. Like I, there was no real reason for me to behave so badly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, dad is from Kentucky. Uh, my mother was born and raised in Mexico City, so there is a lot of praise Jesus yeah. and uh, ay Dios mío, gracias a Dios yeah. in my house <laughs> growing <laughs> up. Love it. Um, yeah, my dad was a military man. He was in the Marines, so I grew up with things like there is no early. You are either on time or late, mm. and you know, late yeah. was not acceptable, yeah. FYI, um, hence the compulsive early um attendance to everything <laughs> 10 15 minutes at least oh my gosh yeah like i can't help myself it's ridiculous <laughs> i mean i i am like oh girl you you look so over eager all the time you're always early yeah. <laughs> can't you be cool and be late can't you be late no okay apparently not <laughs> um but no my parents were very nice people they did not exhibit drinking and using behavior. I grew up in the church, but some things happened to me when I was really young. I, I experienced sexual abuse and I was really little and I, my parents divorced and those were the two pivotal experiences of my childhood. Mm-hmm. It affected who I believed I was. It affected my, my self-worth. Um, those experiences fundamentally altered the course of my life. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't articulate as a small child um, what was happening to me or how I felt about myself. But, you know, growing up in the church, I sort of got this idea of perfectionism and I was never able to live up to those ideals that I was being taught. And I failed over and over and over again. And even though the basic premise was you are forgiven, I was not never able to receive that message. Um, I felt to my core that I was bad. And I used to joke around that at some point I decided if I couldn't be good, I was going to be good at being bad. And yeah. as it turns out, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> But the core of that statement is that I'm bad. And I didn't even, I didn't even realize how subconscious that idea was planted into my psyche until many years of recovery. It took a long time for me to, I knew in the very beginning of recovery that my core issue was not good enough, but I didn't take it that one step further to acknowledge that it was coming from a place that I thought I was bad. Yeah. So that was sort of like what caused me to drink. Cause I, I took my first drink uh, before I was 10 It was between wow. eight and 10. Dang. That's young. Yeah. So young. And I, yeah. I, I look back and I feel so sad for my little girl self that I felt the need to do that. But uh, my, my mom had gone out on a date and my older sister and I <clears throat> were left home alone and she was the good compliant child. You know, she got good grades and was, compliant yeah. i was not i needed to maintain balance in the house right so like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i didn't know that that's what i was doing but i was like oh the role of good girl is taken i guess i'll go have some fun but uh yeah that first drink i think i was between eight, i think i think i was closer to eight because my mom had met my stepdad uh, before i was 10 so it was before 10 but i remember that first drink how it burned my lips and then it burned my mouth, it burned all the way down until it hit bottom. And then once it hit bottom, that warmth that, that spread through my whole body and those feelings of self-consciousness, self-hatred, self-loathing, those were all lifted. And suddenly I was left with this contrasting experience that was so dramatic. It like burned itself and my my psyche forever. And that was that I felt good. And I didn't realize how good I felt until... I didn't really realize how bad I felt until I felt good from that first drink. And I chased that feeling for the rest of my life. It seems like. Yeah. It's you, you, uh, you talk about that warm feeling, everything just kind of floats, floats away. And then you think Mm -hmm. that's, you know, okay, great. I always want to feel like this, you know, 
Um, it's amazing too, like how much those of us in recovery, when we go back and look at our past, our childhood, how much, how many of us, um, suffered from some sort of trauma or abuse, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, it's, it always, I mean, not always, but a lot of the time it, it's just, it's those things that this type of thinking, this, this want to, um, escape, you know, reality, all that kind of stuff stems from, and it's not really until we take a look at those, uh, which is not an easy thing to do, um, you know, that we start to find some healing in that. So, um, how, so how did you get sober? Like, what, what was that like? Like, where, where, where did that get to that final day where you decided I'm done? Yeah. So it, I mean, it was a long journey between that first drink and my last, I took my last drink at the, uh, you may be familiar with the saddle rack in San Jose. Oh yeah. I have heard. Yeah. I uh, love me some cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> Hence the blue James. <laughs> always trying to alter how I felt <laughs> one, one way yeah. or another. Um, but yeah. So the, my recovery journey sort of started, like I had a, I bought like my bottom was when I was, um, out with my sister one night and I had a really bad experience with her. I, I physically, I physically, I hurt my sister. We got, we, I was, I all, I hesitate to say we got in a fight cause it wasn't really a fight. I had gotten really drunk and she was trying to get me home and I had this little truck and she was driving my, my car and we drove past, I had been dating a DUI cop, which oh, was wow. kind of funny. Side note, I never got yeah. a DUI because I used to give his business card with my driver's license when I would no get way. pulled over and they would it. let Here me go. go. Here you go. I'm, I'm with, uh, yeah, so-and-so. <laughs> Damn, Isn't that crazy? Pulling the strings. <laughs> and they would let me go. Wow. So anyway, but he and I had broke up partially because he was married. But <laughs> Whole nother story. <laughs> I mean, listen, the only married man I date now is my husband. There you go. That's all that matters is now. Not the past, okay? Not the past, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I have no shame in my game. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so she, my sister was trying to get me home, and she was driving my my car, and we drove past my you know ex-boyfriend giving a field sobriety test to somebody oh, wow. else. And apparently, I lost my damn mind, and it was trying to crash her car while she was driving it. And Dang. This is all secondhand information, by the way. She said I kicked her in the face while she was driving and she was able to pull the car over and run to that. We were almost made at home, ran uh, to the neighbor's house and got them. And I don't know what happened. I know the police were involved. I didn't go to jail. I don't know why, but I woke up the next morning with that terrible, incomprehensible demoralization that we talk about. Yeah. And, uh, that's when I started questioning my drinking and it took me two years of questioning my drinking before I was able to get sober because there was not, you know, 26 years ago, there was not, well, that would be, uh, 28 years ago. Right. Cause it took me two years of the contemplation. It's like the only options at that time was AA or rehab. And I, and I didn't even know about rehab. Yeah. I did know about AA because my mom dated somebody that was in the program when I was 14 years old and he's still sober, no believe way. it or not. I see him at meetings. It's crazy. But um, it took me two years of wrestling with that idea because I, I, it was the one thing that was helping me. It was like the one thing that kept me alive during those young years, uh, like I was self-medicating because I had so much self-hatred, like all the all drugs that saved my life. Because yeah. if I had to feel everything that I was feeling, I don't know that I would have survived it, but the drugs and alcohol actually helped me. Yeah. But it, you know, the savior became the executioner towards the end and I just could not go on anymore. Mm-hmm. And I finally gave in and two of my customers, I was in the outside sales position even then. And two of my customers were in the program, Mitch and Randy. And I will be forever grateful to those two guys because they sort of introduced me to some ideas about the program. And then they, one even took me to my very first meeting and then they sort of like handed me over to the women. They were like, the women work with the women. Like they were fine, upstanding members of the program. And they, you know, kind of Eskimoed me in out of the cold yeah. and they handed me off to the women and the rest is history. It's <laughs> awesome. You said, uh, you said one word that kind of stuck out and I feel like there's someone who might need to hear this right now. Like you said, contemplation. So like that, 
that contemplating, or should I say those contemplating voices that sometimes go back and forth in our heads, like you got this, you don't need help. No, you need to get some help. You need to go right now. You're going to die. You're going to live. You're great. Like they just, I mean, it can really be overwhelming, um, at times. So I was hoping maybe you could share a little bit about just that, what that contemplation was like for you. And maybe you can help relate to someone out there who's going and just like, man, I know I need some help, but I'm not really sure. Like if I need some help, but I know I do, you know what I mean? That whole back and forth thing. Like, what was that like for you? That, that piece of it. It was torture. That's such a great question though, Shane. I'm so glad you asked that. That period of time was torture for me because it was, the question started because my sister went to Alan after that night and I was like, for me, you went to, you went to Alan because of me. What? Yeah. <laughs> like I was surprised. I was so self-centered, but incapable of self-examination. Like I could not see myself clearly. I did not see myself the way other people saw me from the outside, but that contemplation period, that two year period was, was just freaking torture. Cause yeah. it was, um, am I an alcoholic? what makes somebody an alcoholic? Well, all these other people around me are drinking just like I am. Are they alcoholic? Why am I different? Like the one question led to another, which led to more questions. It was like opening Pandora's box, but it was that first time I started that internal investigation of is my drinking a problem? And I tried to solve that. I tried to think my way into right living Right. And I got to the program later and it turns out the solution is the opposite. You live your way into right thinking, but I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So I spent that those two years, uh, I spent a lot of time in the self-help section at Barnes and Noble. (laughs) I thought, I thought my problem was men. I thought my problem was money. I thought my problem was that I needed six pack abs. I mean, it was ridiculous what I thought my problem was. And I kept coming back to this idea of, well, you know, when did I cross the line? Did I cross the line? I didn't understand this whole idea about alcoholism. So it took me two years of wrestling with that idea and then just getting beat up, frankly, by, by just trying to manage it. Like I tried the glass of water between drinks. Mm. I tried switching from hard alcohol to, uh, you know, beer and wine. I I tried all the things. I shot all the angles until I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And these guys are like, Mitch and Randy were like, come over here. We have the answer. Yeah. So I just gave it up smooth. Finally. That's like, you finally just throw your hands up just in complete exhaustion at some point because it's like, nothing is working. Um, yeah. So April 23rd, 1994 for you. That's just like, I can't believe that. So that's a, that's it took me time. 60 days to get 30. Mm-hmm. So you went back um, and forth a little bit. And so, so let me point this out folks listening to is number one, this shit's not easy. Okay. But not mm-hmm. to deter you, you know, cause I get many emails and messages, man, I had two weeks. I had, you know, 60 days. Here's, here's the bottom line. Myself, Arlena, so many other others of us out there, we didn't give up. We kept going. We only lose when we quit like straight up. And so even if you had three weeks and you messed up and you went back out again, don't give up because that's, that's when you lose. Like you have to get back on and eventually it will click. It's different for everybody. You know what I'm saying? So, sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there, but. No, that's um, a really important point. It actually brings up something that kind of bothers me about certain programs is this marking of time because it is marking time by default um, and engenders failure. Mm. Right. And so sometimes I mean, it's the only program that it's almost like, it's almost like it's just this idea of perfectionism, right? And part, like I took, it took me two years of wrestling with the ideas. Like I I didn't, there wasn't like a lot of information that long ago. You know what I'm saying? So I failed and failed and failed and failed and failed. But I showed up to, I showed up to a program and then I started marking my time. And I realized, so the funny thing was, is I quit drinking on my 25th birthday, but I didn't show up to a 12 step program for five months, Really? but I was on the marijuana maintenance program and I didn't know (laughs) that's sick of weed, (laughs) (laughs) right? I didn't know you couldn't count your time. So I showed up to this meeting thing and I've been sober for five months. They're like, uh, no. 
Yeah. <laughs> you have to be. And the reason is because the whole point of recovery is that we're trying to recover our whole selves. Mm-hmm. And I had spent so much time and energy disassociating from my feelings out of survival, yeah, right? I was trying to survive, Shane. I was trying to, and a, and a part of me was trying to survive. But I, when when I got sober and I quit everything, I was like this raw nerve ending and I felt everything, which was totally overwhelming. But I had community all for the first time. Yeah, I had community and support and a process to sort through all my feelings. Like I never had any kind of coping mechanisms before that. Yeah. Right. And working steps in a 12 step program was a way for me to actually like the four step was magical. It was the first time I was able to see myself clearly that I was the cause, not mm. at the effect of life. Right. Yeah. Like I thought I was a victim. Turns out I was kind of an asshole. <laughs> people were <laughs> and people were just responding to yeah. me being a self-centered dick. <laughs> posing, at, posing as the victim. You know, I've said that so many times, like that victim mentality just destroyed me for many years and it destroys mm. so many of us staying in that state. We can never grow. Everything is everyone else's fault. Um, and it's hard. We can't really figure that out until someone points it out to us or we figure it out ourselves. Um, let me, let me ask you this too. So what would you say to somebody who, let's see, how do I say this? A lot of the time I get questions or thoughts, like there's like this magic answer, just, Oh, you just get sober. It's like, it's, there's, there's more to it than that. You got to show up. You got to be able, willing, able to put in some work. Um, a lot of people due to stigma or whatever you want to call it, they, they won't go to a 12 step meeting. They won't check it out because maybe they've had a bad, uh, someone told them a bad thing about it. There was a bad experience about it. Was that something for you that you experienced? Was it hard for you to get into the meeting or were you just so exhausted? You just like, I'm willing to try anything at this point. I loved it from day one. Mm. And I know that that's not everybody's experience. Um, I remember the women pulling me aside. I was 25 years old. I was blonde, (laughs) very skinny. Everyone thought I was doing other drugs. <laughs> anyway, that's beside the point. Yeah. But uh, the women would pull me aside and be like, watch out for the wolves and sheep's clothing, right? Mm. So there tells you it's not always a safe place, which yeah. is I've, I've seen. And th- now I understand why that the, they say that the women work with the women now. Yeah. Um, however, I that was the last block on the house for me. Like there was no other option for me. Like I was going to die. Mm. I was going to die. Um, and so I was so desperate. I was willing to do anything they told me to do, including working with the women. Like I, women were not my, um, I I saw women, women as uh, competition. Mm. I did not have a good relationship with my mother. And so I did not see women as a safe place. And I was terrified of women. I was just, I spent all my time and energy decorating the outside. I didn't feel like I had anything on the inside. Uh, And they told me that I had to work with the women. I was so desperate to be sober, Shane. I did everything they told me to do, including working with the women. And um, so I had a really good experience and it makes me sad that other people do not, but there are more, there are more um, options now than there used to be. But for me, it was, I was just willing to do whatever they told me to do. Like I, I, and I worked the steps with the same intensity that I sought drugs and alcohol. And and for me, it was all about cause and effect. And I had a really good outcome. So let's, let's kind of shift then into what sobriety has given you. Like what's your life like today? Um, what does that look like? And uh, like, it seems pretty amazing probably when you look back and think like, man, where it could have went, where it was going and like, how the heck did I get here today? Yeah. So life is really good. So my husband <clears throat> and I have been together. So I was five months sober when he and I <laughs> met and started really? dating again, rebel. I don't follow. Yeah. I guess maybe I didn't follow all the rules, but I did all the steps. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I mean, so far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, my older boy is 20 and my younger son is 16. They have never seen me loaded. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a good sponsor. I'm a good, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm more me than I've ever been. And I, I love who I am today. Not in like, not like I'm better than anybody, 
but you know what I mean? It's like, we're in a circle, not on a ladder. Like I'm not ahead. Like, I don't feel I am any more exempt from alcohol than the day, than the person has one day. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm still, I'm still vulnerable if I don't take care of myself. It's like a plan. It's like, you wouldn't, you have to water the plant every day if you want to keep it alive. Like you wouldn't go to the gym once and expect to be in shape forever. Yeah, it doesn't right? work like so that. So <laughs> taking care of my recovery, it's like, um, or like a diabetic, it's like a, a diabetic needs to take their medicine. Otherwise they're going to get sick again. Yeah. And that's definitely the case for me. If I stop taking my medicine, I get sick very quickly. I forgot um, what your question was. I was rambling. No, you're Did good. Did I answer your I was, question? No, yeah. No, I just I was just kind of asking, just you know, sharing a little bit about what sobriety brought you and and oh, kind of right, where right, right. where it was today. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I mean, I got all the stuff. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like the marriage, the kids, the money in the bank, the lifestyle is good. I'm healthy. My, re- but more importantly, I love who I am. My relationships with yeah. my family is really good. I have healthy relationships with other women. I feel like my life has purpose and meaning. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else there is. That's right? well, I think that's um one that's one of the big things that that I take to heart and that I hear you say too is that like you know the tr- your your true self and obviously I, that's usually a work in progress still, right? We're still constantly learning. Like I'm in process. I'm not ever pro- you know going to arrive at this point, but like man, I feel like I know me, I didn't know who the heck I was till like, I was like 32. So I finally like gave up That's like early. numbing out, you know? And, um, so it's, it's, it's awesome to be able to, to live in that, uh, even though it's not easy all the time, you know, it's, uh, can be tough some days, but. Well, I um, mean, we always have growing pains, right? Yeah. Like that, that doesn't sure. change. If you're, if you're not experiencing some growing pains i don't think you're trying hard enough yeah that's true you're not stepping out you got to get uncomfortable a little bit you know a little bit yeah. be a little bit uncomfortable i mean there's got to be like a safety zone right yeah. like there's got to be some balance but it's not a razor's edge it's a path this balance thing it's like you have to be pushing kind of hard but you also have to take good care and rest and i mean there's a lot of paradoxes in recovery yeah. but um it's like, you don't have to figure it out is not a slogan, right? It's, it's not, a, it's not a slogan because there's the path is already defined. Yeah. And if yeah, you stay in the middle of the herd, as they say, and you connect to a higher power of some kind, you know, it could be just the group. If you don't, you know, I like, I love me some science and I love how science is kind of catching up or making sense of, religion or spirituality in a lot of ways, but uh, the path is defined. And if you just take a few, I mean, we're, we like to complicate things, right? Oh yeah. Um, But it's actually pretty simple. It's just fighting our nature to complicate things. I think is the challenging part. And I think like everyone's different too. Everyone learns different. Everyone has different beliefs and thoughts and experiences. And so, like back to the point we were talking about earlier about not giving up, like the more you're kind of trying new avenues, like eventually something's going to click, like something's going to fall into place that works for you and that person. But we have the foundation, you know, of many different programs, many different, you know, experiences, all that, that we can kind of uh, fall back on. Um, I want to, so I want to hear a little bit about ODAT chat podcast now and mm-hmm. um, you know, how, how it started. I think you said, hold on, I'm going to bring it up right now. Um, a hundred. Oh wait, where I lost it there. How many? One hundred twenty-four episodes. Yeah. Oh, one hundred twenty-one. It says one twenty-four on here. I wonder if that's like a. Oh, you know what? I did a little a series called Step Work Calls. Oh, nice. That's cool. And I didn't really count them as episodes, so I guess technically there's more than that. But I did like these little. I thought, oh, I wonder if it would be helpful to show people what it would be like to work steps. And so yeah, I had these women, good idea. I, I had this uh, thing where I called for volunteers on the podcast and all these people responded saying that they'd be willing to work steps. Um, and then it, and then I, some problems came out of that. <laughs> <laughs> really? Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought, so what I learned, I think what would have been more helpful is if, I did all like recorded all the steps and then published them all at once because then when we got, when we got to like the four step people were like, they were supposed to be doing the step work anonymously, oh, right? Wow. So that they could be transparent, but then they were telling everybody that they were on this podcast. And then when we got to the four step, they couldn't be honest. 
uh, because they were on the podcast, which made it difficult. <laughs> they to, told yeah. everybody who they were. Oh yeah, that's yeah. That could be a little uh, little challenging. It was problematic. It was yeah. problematic. It was a good experiment, but anyway, I have a 121 like this style of interview. Do you, do you find that the podcast um, is uh, has it helped you in your recovery? Is it a big part of your um, just life yeah. in general? Yeah. So here was the funny thing. Like I had a really hard time because I was so indoctrinated to, you know, steps and traditions of not being public, you know, maintaining anonymity at the level of press radio and film type of thing. I was so indoctrinated. I was terrified to do the podcast. And then a friend of mine was at a meeting. I used to attend this 6am meeting called ODAT. And I went to the 6 a.m. meeting every fucking day because that's where, like, I mean, if you're showing up at a meeting every day at 6 a.m., you are serious about oh, yeah. your recovery. You're committed. Yeah. You are committed. And it sort of attracted, like, this, I dare say, high caliber of people, but people really commit such a loving group. Just, I mean, it was huge to my recovery. But uh, my my girlfriend was there at 6 a.m. in the morning and she died three hours later in a single car. And she and I were just about the same age. And I had been, I had already done a, um, a high tech sales podcast. I was my first, my first podcast. And it was really on my heart that I do this recovery podcast because that's, that's really like where I feel like my superpower is yeah. like the recovery. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah totally. But, uh, but I was so conflicted. And then when Gina died, I was like, you know what? It would be, it would be such a regret for me to die with this dream on my heart. Like I felt like it was a dream that was given to me. Do you know what I mean? It was like, and so I, I, I was like, okay, that's it. I'm going to do it. So I was inspired to do it because of a tragedy, but I've had magical experiences. And and one of my most impactful stories is that my second guest was my friend, Katie. And Katie was just such a bright light in my life. And uh, Katie had lost her kids. She told her story on the podcast, but she had lost her kids because of her drug use. Her Mm -hmm. sister told her ex-husband that she was using again and she lost custody of her children. And, uh, but she'd gotten sober and she was riding high on sobriety like we do. And, um, she got sick. She got sick with the flu. This is way before COVID. Um, but she got sick with the flu and she died. Um, suddenly she, wow. two weeks after her 40th birthday, Dang, and she so had young. everything going for her. She had everything going for her. And it was just such a tragic loss. Like I've never been so shook in my whole life, but, yeah. um, her sister, had heard the podcast episode after she died and she got a hold of me and on the podcast, Katie told Katie talked about how she had forgiven her sister and her sister reached out to me and said, I listened to her episode and I didn't know that she had forgiven me until she heard that podcast episode. And it's just Shane. It, it meant so much to me that like, this was an unintended um, benefit of doing the podcast that it meant something wow. to someone else. Like yeah. you do the podcast and you hope it helps somebody, but you never know how it's going to help. Right. Like I'm sure yeah. you get letters and stuff all the time, but you just never know how it's going to impact somebody. And that's why I keep going because I just never know. Like if something, if you have a dream on your heart, you should follow it. Cause you just never know how your actions are going to help somebody else and help matters. Like what you do matters. Yeah, that's good. That's that's amazing too. The story. I mean, you're literally getting, uh, um, you know, a message beyond in a sense that she that she never knew. You know, and and uh, you were yeah. able to kind of capture that moment by being of service and doing what you love to do. You know, so um, yeah, yeah, it's it it pretty awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, what about, uh, you also, so, and, and folks check out ODAT chat podcast. I'll put all the note, the show notes in here. If you haven't checked it out already and it's at Arlena Allen at ODAT chat on Instagram. Um, I'll, and I'll, I'll put those links in there, but, uh, you also have a class called reinvent. And I wanted to, before we wrap up, we just got a couple of minutes. I just want to hear a little bit about reinvent. Where can folks find out more info if they want about that? 
Yeah, so reInvent is a self-esteem class. And the whole premise of the class is that we only allow into our lives what we feel we deserve. And those of us who have been through addiction experiences, you know, we have a lot to overcome, right? There's a lot of guilt and shame that's associated with, you know, you know, living that life of alcoholism and drug addiction. There's a lot of, you know, built-in um you know, guilt and shame there. And so the whole class is geared towards, it's a workshop for, for women at this point, I plan to do one that's, that's open to men and women, but right now it's for women where um, we really get to those limiting beliefs and we reframe those. And it's through a process where you show up to class and do the work in class because lack of information is not the issue. It's applying that information to your life. That is the tricky part, right? And so the class is geared so that you actually do the work in class. Right. And so the work gets done. We do a meditation. We do a bunch of writing exercises. There's, you know, a built in sort of community that kind of develops within there. And there's a new class starting in October. I usually have one about once every six weeks. And so the next class will be towards the end of October. But it's you can register for the class or find out more information at selfesteemcourse.com selfesteemcourse.com. Cool. I, I just put the link here down in the show notes. So folks, if you want to check that out, you can do that there. Um, Arlena, just want to just say thank you. Number one for coming on the show. Um, thank you for just being a, a good member of service just to the recovery community, the podcast community, uh, just in general too. It's so crazy. Like, and, and shout out to Dennis again for kind of re, even though we had chatted before, you know, it's, I, I, I don't believe things happen by accident. And so uh, it's been really good to kind of connect again and have you on the podcast and all that good stuff. So, so thank you. Um, last question, like if there's someone struggling right now and they just, you know, they're not really sure, uh, what advice can you give them? I would say number one, you are not alone. You are not alone. And there is hope. You know, there's, there's so many online resources now that are available. There's all kinds of podcasts. I mean, feed your brain, ask for help. So you can't see your ass and your face at the same time. <laughs> Set aside That's your good. pride and just yeah. let somebody know that you're suffering. There are those of us who, you know, we get you're kind of crazy. You can't scare us. <laughs> we can help. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> well, one more time, where can folks reach out to you at? They can um, find me through the podcast. It's odaatchat.com. I didn't think it through when I named my podcast. I know some people spelled odat, O-D-A-T. Damn it. It's originally known. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) yeah, through the podcast, I have a Facebook page, the Odat Chad podcast. I'm very excited. Good stuff. Yeah. And I'll put all that stuff in the show notes, folks. Arlena, thank you again for coming on today. Appreciate you. Um, I hope something spoke to you today. Thank you for showing up. That's one of my favorite lines. Just show up. So continue to do that. I'll do my best to do the same. Share the podcast with a friend. You can check us out at thatsoberguy.com. Once again, connect with us on Instagram at realthatsoberguy on Twitter at Shane Raymer. Uh, peace, love, and respect. I love you guys. Keep your blood clean.